Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Um, amen. Come and give God praise as we transition. Um, in, our, in our particular town, there can be things that are going on that we might be unaware of, but just below the surface of what looks good, there can be something lingering in a community or in a person that's actually bad. Um, you can't see anger or propensity to anger. You can't see a spirit of murder. You can't see a lying spirit. You can't see a person who has uh, an addiction uh, that they're keeping quiet. Someone might have a, a drunkenness or a, or a perversion of some type or be addicted to pornography, but you might not see it. And the, one of the reasons we might not see it is because there's a way you can live that's so functional that people can't detect your dysfunction. And so, because you're still showing up to work, you're still paying the bills, and guess what? In general, you're still a good person. But it doesn't mean that secretly there's not something plaguing you and haunting you, and there seems to be no detection. All of us who love people know that if you are the person who identifies that there's someone you love, whether married, single, or family is going through a crisis, you want to do all you can to help them in that crisis. Problem is, if somebody is functional in their breakdown, functional in their obsession or their addiction or their need for love or whatever it is, they become blind to it or numb to it over time. And somehow, if the people living in the same house with you or in the same proximity don't actually point out there's a major problem, you could be stuck with it. And we have all seen interventions happen on TV with athletes and everything. And these interventions typically go wrong. They're motivated by the right place. They're done by the right person. But I rarely have seen them actually fully be received. It's something that the longer we stay in the bad behavior or narrative, we can get stuck there. But it's something about when it's your loved one means you got to fight for them. Other people might want to give up on somebody in, your, in their life, in your life, who's exhibiting bad behavior. But if it's your child, if it's your best friend, if it's your spouse, you're not going to give up on them. Because you start thinking, I'm the only one left that can stage an intervention. I want to let you know that I perceived it today the message that we're going to look at, that Jesus is about to talk to a bunch of people who need an intervention. And I don't, I don't think that one of the only reasons that this is relevant for us is perhaps today, whether you wanted to believe it or not, you've got to perceive that there's a close, close proximity where I'm close enough to you. Jesus is close enough to you where perhaps he can bring to your attention the need for an intervention. If we look at our scripture text, um, reading in Revelations chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 only, I'm going to set the scene 
for what's going on in the church that might help us start identifying. And I'm, it's going to be a difficult moment where I'm asking you to listen to the Holy Spirit, even though he might be using my words, to help soften your heart to where he might want to come into your personal space and ask you a few questions about where you stand with him. I want you to know that it's motivated and inspired by love, and we'll see just a minute. Let's look at it. Revelations 2, uh, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to say, ready, read. Let's just read that together online. It'll show up on the screen. Ready, read. No, 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 y'all going too far. I said, I, I didn't want to go too far. Go back to one. I'll let you read too far. I, just, I, was, I don't know where I was. Read one again. Good. It's like y'all tell reading. I said, it's like y'all hypnotized me. <laughs> All right. Let, let, in fact, let me read it because y'all, y'all got something else going on. I don't want that to happen to me again. I'm sorry. The angel of the church of Ephesus right. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I want you to understand that Pastor Dave did an amazing job last week of preaching the word and delivering it to us. What a gift of, of God to him. And I'm going to try to build on the great work that he's already done. And he already helps you understand that those stars in God's hand are God's pastors, his messengers, his leaders. They're not angels. They're a person. Um, that he's dealing with, and the lampstands are churches, and, and, and him walking through it means his presence is among you. So we see two things through this picture. Number one, that no matter where you're at and what you're going through and what your station is, especially in the church, that Jesus is intimately involved with your life. He's not just involved with your life. He's got the things that oversee your life, like the leaders or the systems or whatever. He's got them in his hand, his right hand. That means as he's powerfully in control, he, he's, he's got your life in his hand. And, and one thing you need to know is that he's a very present help. He's available. He's near to you. He's nigh to you. This is what he wanted them to know. But he, they're in the city of Ephesus, and Paul first planted this church in Ephesus. He had some help from Apollos. He had some help from uh, Priscilla and, uh, and Aquila. When he showed up there, he was tearing stuff up. He pre preached the gospel uh, to people, and people was getting saved, and it was burning all the witchcraft books. You know, uh, a riot was breaking out in the city. Uh, the city was full of immorality. Um, they had a, a, a temple built with 127 pillars that was bigger than the Parthenon, that all types of uh, uh, money, uh, banking was done there, merchants was done there, but immorality was done there. It was a place for public prostitution and, and, and worshiping idols was done uh, with uh, sexual acts and different things that were very inappropriately that would be done publicly. Ephesus is a place that was great to go to because you could be prosperous there. You can enjoy a lot of the good things they have there, but you could do what you want, when you want, how you wanted to do it, with whomever you wanted to do it. And it was a law that they had to be free to do whatever they want to do. And that sounds familiar. See, it was the it city of its day. And if you didn't know that Nashville has become an it city, I think we one of the only people that have a Parthenon you know, you know, you know, the Athens of the South. 
we visit it like that's not, you know, <laughs> we visit it like it's not a symbol for idol worship or, you know, something crazy. It's a museum. But my point is, is that that city of Ephesus has some wicked stuff going on, and we can think about the wicked things that are going on in our city and think, wow, it's very similar. But as wicked as the city of Ephesus was, God sent Paul there to preach. God sent Paul there to do work in a hard place. So sometimes I want you to understand that God knows that you can be in a hard place or that you're in a hard place, but that doesn't mean he did not put you there and he's not there with you. Some of you are in hard marriages right now, but he put you there. Hard workplaces, but he put you there. Hard ministry work, but he put you there. You're in the relationships that are very confusing and friendships you want to get rid of, but God has put you there. He's, in, he's got us here in this city to reach the city, to touch the world. He's put us here. He's given us the responsibility to advance his kingdom, even though he knows it's hard. Sometimes when things are hard, we feel like God is distant, but he's walking among the church. Sometimes when things are hard, we think the leaders are went crazy, but he's got the leaders in his hand. I want you to understand the context here is God, Jesus, who's writing to this people, wants to know, I'm in control. And then, then the next two verses gets you what you want, he wants you to know about his presence with you. Look at verse 2. He says, I know your works. I know your toil. This toil is to not just do the right thing or do the right work. It's to do it uh, under great stress. It's to do it uh, when it's toil. That means it wasn't easy. It wasn't like you wasn't putting effort forward. And even when there was no relief, you patiently endured because you were doing the right work. Church, isn't it good when someone knows you're working hard? Frustrating to be around people who don't know how hard you work to make life easier for them, and they can't appreciate it. Parents feel it all the time. Send your parents a valentine. All the kids, send your parent a valentine. You was boycotting Valentine Day till I just told you. Send your parents one. Don't send that other person who just got hit here. We don't even know if they're going to make it. They not toiling yet. And, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. This church didn't just do the right type of preaching, the right type of giving, the right type of service. They don't like evil. It's like Lot who enjoyed the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, but the Bible says his righteous soul was vexed every day about what's going on. I like Nashville, but I don't like what goes on downtown. I don't like what's going on in our school system. I don't like that we're called the, the buckle of the Bible belt, but if you go into the homes of the people in that buckle, we don't live like the righteous people we're called to be. He says, I know. He said, but they hate evil. I like them. I like them. They hate evil. They know how to do the right thing. They hate, hate the wrong thing. And they, and they test those who call themselves apostles and are not. And they found them to be false. These are not just some everyday average people who don't have good spiritual sense, common sense, or don't do anything of value. In fact, they do so many things of value that God's saying, I know you, I see you, I comprehend you, I know what's going on in your life, and your list of good things, they are long. I love it when somebody tells me that kind of list. It's powerful. 
I know that you patiently endure and you bear up for the na- my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. In other words, when, when, when you say, when some, you do something for somebody's namesake, that means you take into account the total essence of who they are. You're not just doing it, uh, as we say, willy-nilly or haphazardly. They're doing it as a representation of him. These people, by all accounts so far, people I maybe I like to model my life after. They're not people you would run from. In fact, they look like people, when I hear them talked about, I run too. They got it going on. But this next verse is troubling because for all the good things that are listed, but I have this against you. You have abandoned, you have left the love you first had. This word abandoned didn't mean that they lost love, didn't mean they fell out of love. You know, you can't fall into love, you can't fall out. You have to leave love. Love is something that you give, not something that you get. Yes, you can get it, but, but primarily it's something that you give. It's a love feast. So if you can give it, you can also take it away. That means that they become people who have learned the pattern of doing all of the right things, but not with a fully committed right heart. God's saying on the outside, boy, you are the example of what should be done on the outside. Nashville, the buckle of the Bible belt, a church on every corner, you are leading the nation in Christian activity. Hallelujah. (laughs) Missions come from you. Millions of dollars to the work of the Lord comes from you. You just don't come with the work. You get it done. You know, it's just like I told people, if you ever ask me to help move, like I could, you know, move your house, like come help you move your furniture and stuff, I'll say yes, but I'm not coming. I'm just going to pay somebody to come. That's my contribution. I want to hang, I want to hang with you. No, no, no. I sent somebody to do my part. I'm through moving stuff. Don't, when you move into your next house, Dave, don't ask me to help you move. I love you, but I'll, I'll give you some money toward the movers. <laughs> you praise the Lord for that. Thank you. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? It's like, can you imagine... For those of you who um, are single, let's just take your parents for example. They say, you know, they, they, you know, they give, you know, you ask them for money, you, they give you some money, and they say, I just did that because you, you know, we're, we're related. But you don't want to give it to me? No. Now, my prideful self is, would just say, if I ask you for something and you don't want to give me, well, don't give it to me then. Now, I'm prideful because I need it. But somehow we don't want love. We don't want obligation. We want somebody's heart. For those of you who are married, you know what it's like after you've been married for a while to go through the motions because you have your marriage set up as a discipline when you know how to do all of the right things, but your heart is no longer in it. And the reality is that's a problem. It's a problem. You couldn't imagine going into your, to do your spouse and say, you know, look, look, babe, I'm going to work every day. I'm going to uh, take care of you. 
whatever you dream, I'm going to get it for you. You know, whatever you need from me, I got you. But uh, don't expect too much more than that. My heart ain't in it. But I'm going I'm to fulfill my obligations to you. Now, we don't believe in divorce, but you know you will want one at that moment. You, 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 you'll, you'll find yourself saying, I don't want that. I don't want it that way. Can y'all turn that down a little bit, please? It's a little much. Sorry. Then I can really yell. <laughs> so, you, you see, no one wants love like this. What if you were the one that needed an intervention? Because for all of the good things you have done, Bethel, for all of the good things you've done, Pastor James, for all of the good things you've done, Ephesus Church, there's something against you. But the person who's coming to do the intervention is not distant not inactive. He's been right there all along telling you, I've been close enough, I've given enough to have the right to say, this is not what it should be. You need, I need an intervention. You see, Jesus is very clear, gives clear recognition of our condition. The list of good, the list of bad. You know, if you took when, when I'm going through challenges in my own life, especially like may, maybe a marriage challenge, one of the exercises that God has given me to do is to list everything that is going right and then list everything that's going wrong. Which list do you think is longer? The, the things is right, but somehow we get focused on the things that's wrong. So if the church recognize that Jesus put his finger on a condition that they have and that there's something lacking and they need an intervention, then you got to be hungry for the words. And here's the challenge. When you're doing an intervention with your family member or with your friend or somebody you love, the biggest indicator that it's about to go right is if they say, okay, I need help. What What do I have to do? can be embarrassing, hard to hear, and difficult. All right, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. If you don't get to the point of the intervention where somebody is willing to participate, perhaps it'll just be words. And it'll be years of a drawn out scenario that might cost them and you everything because they didn't heed the intervention. Here's what he wanted them to do. Verse 6, remember therefore where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet, you ha- yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, each and one of us that knows the Lord had a moment in your life where God intervened when you were on the way to hell and you were eternally separated from him when you were dead in trespasses and sins, when you thought you were okay but you really weren't okay, and when he intersected and intervened in your life, 
and told you you had a problem, it was sin, and he had the solution, it was him. For me, I told the story many times, it's a moment uh, being on campus with a bat about to solve an ethnic problem between some skinheads and an interracial couple with a bat that could have turned out to be a murder situation. The police showed up, I dropped the bat, and in that moment of realizing how far I was willing to go to solve my own problems, the own vileness, the own violence in me, I remember falling on my knees and saying, God, none of me, all of you. I remember how I began to weep in every message of love he had sent to me my whole life through so many people who had preached the gospel to me flooded in. My mind went back to my baptism with, at 12 years old, which I thought I understood what was going on and say, I'm going to get baptized again. I started thinking about all of the people that I wanted to see saved. He said, remember, the, the scripture says, remember from where you've fallen. When I first got born again, I remember the, the, the next day I led this Arab girl uh, to, the, to the Lord named Janan, who's still saved today, and she's a, a, a past, pastor's wife. I'm then at a waste any time. And I can't recall not praying every day, not reading my Bible every day, and witnessing every day. I remember going, going to the point where I was on my campus, and for y'all who gone to college, you know, we used to call them the midnight creepers, the people that was going in the, like at midnight, they had their pillow and their blanket, you know, walking from the girl's dorm to the guy dorm or the guy dorm to the girl dorm in the middle of the night. That couldn't be good, but I would be parked out on the park bench. Then, you know, you, turn around. That's what he's calling you to, a turnaround. Call on his name right now so you can avoid all saying, I mean, I would just be out there. Then after that, you know, in the daytime, I would be witnessing and I would be in the dining hall. And every day in the dining hall, I'd be in some type of conflict with somebody, arguing with the scriptures. And if I was losing an argument, I would grab them. Now, I'm not telling you to do this. I'm just telling you, I would grab them by their shirt. People would come and tell you that. And I would I'd get them over and say, you need to get saved. Man, let me go. I said, I ain't letting you go till you tell him. Call his name. Call his name. <laughs> and so... The passion I had after salvation, when I, when I came to church, De- Debbie, Debbie knows this, when I came to worship God, I, I, I would have run, is this true, Debbie? I would run through all the chairs in the church, worshiping God, fall down, get back up, be in the back, cry, roll a little bit, sit down for a few minutes. I mean, I just, I just express my passion unabated unabated. Where did that guy go? How far have I come from a guy so overwhelmed with gratefulness and passion for the Lord that everybody needed to hear the gospel, even if they are already saved? I used to minister to saved people all the time. You know, are you really saved? Wait a minute, let's just check it now. Come on, just say the prayer with me. Just let's do a double check prayer. Say, Lord, come into my life. But I just did a bunch of double-check prayers. Remember. He said, when you remember where you have fallen from, that you have stopped living your life for Christ, with Christ, by Christ, when, when Jesus gives you clear um, 
uh, recognition that you got a bad condition and he starts bringing the reprimand for your sin, which is you need to repent, that means you got to start by acknowledging, I am wrong. I'm not thinking right. I'm not acting right. I'm not living right. And I need an adjustment. I need a turnaround. And then he says, return to doing the things you used to do at first. For decades of my life, I got up every morning at 6 a.m. and prayed. It's so funny that the longer I stay in God, the less I need to do the things that I have done the whole of my life as a believer. To read my Bible every day as my enjoyment, not my responsibility responsibility to read my Bible. I'm talking about my enjoyment, not my job as a pastor. I'm talking about my enjoyment. Like, this is, this is good. This is a good movie. It got all the drama you want. The Bible will give it to you. Leave you with questions you can't answer where you be like, Lord, you got to show me that because that's that not even clear. Where Communicating the good news to Jesus Christ wasn't the assignment that a pastor gave me. It was the call on my life as a person who was a beneficiary of what the gospel brought to me. Return, James Lowe, where holiness and living holy was not the rules that my church established. It wasn't what somebody was making me do. I wasn't considering my liberties in Christ. I was more concerned about my consecration in Christ because I love Christ. It wasn't about somebody restricting my behavior. Well, they can't tell me that's wrong. I restricted my behavior because I was in love. What happened to me? Now the looseness in Ephesus is the same looseness in the church, the same looseness in the city, it's the same looseness in me, the same looseness in us. We need an intervention. Somebody's got to say it. We've abandoned the thing that motivates us and inspires us to do the right thing from the right place. Return. He said, but I do love, he, I love Jesus for this. Now, I gave you that reprimand, but let me tell you, I do love that you hate what I hate. I love that about you. I love that he's so gentle. He knows that's hard to hear. You don't love me like you should. You got all this stuff. I see you do good. You're failing in this love category, but you still do so much I like. I mean, it's like <laughs> he's the best person to do the intervention because he's not trying to hurt me. He's trying to bring us closer. He said, you, you, you hate what the Nicolaitans do. The Nicolaitan, this, this guy, is cons- some think it's Nicholas from Acts 6, who was a deacon in the church, who followed the ways of Balaam, who Balaam means to d- destroy people, and Nicholas means to conquer people. And the conquering was somebody from within the church, bringing compromise to the church. 
it wasn't the, that the outside was dictating what happened on the inside of the church. It was that the leaders on the inside were causing the people to error by saying, it's not that bad what you watch, what you taste, what you think. He don't really care that much, you know, what you, that's not a bit, everybody got problems. You got to have a little something. You, you know, everybody tell a white lie. Everybody got a little lust. Everybody got a little anger. Everybody got a little something. It's all right just to be a little bit sinful. Look at the world. You ain't them. You're not in the temple prostituting. You just got a little secret. You're functional. You need, I need an intervention. Because if you sin long enough, that's why he told us to repent, because we need it's sin. If you sin long enough, you'll come up with a justification why it's just not that bad. Uh, I, I, I'm not them. I'm not the world. Uh, I, I'm not like that. But see, Jesus sees clearly that you're, he gives recognition of your condition. And guess what? Jesus actually gives you a reprimand. The question is, will you receive it? If you receive it, you'll start repenting. And he said, if you're going to receive it, our relationship has another level it can go to. Because if you're telling me that the love has grown cold, then what I'm going to do is move you closer to me, not further. And I'm going to actually show you how to get closer to me Look at verse 6. It's going to show you. He says, yes, no, yeah. Uh, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you can see, this is what Jesus is saying. If you can see me like I know you, then you'll be ready to change. The first point, he says, when I know you, this means I see you, I comprehend you. When he's saying, if you got an ear to hear, if you're actually catching me, I see you, but if you see me, oh, if you see what I'm saying to the churches, this is going to be victory. If you actually comprehend me in this intervention, if you don't just start thinking, well, Pastor James is going off today. He ate something bad. He just want to tell us because the text said these people bad. He going to tell me I'm bad. It don't really apply to me. Oh, forget you then. It applies to me. Something is broken in me. Something is wrong in me. The word of God is coming to me to correct me. I don't know what he's doing in you, but my love don't have time to fight with you. I'm in a fight, a good fight of faith for me. Now, I care about you enough to know that if we've got an ear to comprehend this, if we will hear him, we'll be rewarded by him. How? To the one who overcomes. I will grant him to eat of the tree of life, which is in paradise of God. In other words, what is God saying? If you hear my words, you'll overcome. He said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. 
Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. If you hear me, if you listen to me, if you hearken to me, if you remember from where you've fallen, if you repent, if you return to do your first works, I'm going to come closer to you. I'm going to move you back into that garden place. I'm going to give you that garden access, and you and I are going to be closer. Because the only thing that can affect your hard heart is love personified. You, you can't win without love stepping back in. What do you do when the love is gone? You got to get back to the source in the beginning of love. Agape. Real love is without a reason. All week long, you're going to see people searching for inauthentic love. The statistics say that about 90% of the songs is about relationships, love, sex, music. Everybody's searching for the same thing. 88% of people want to be, be uh, married or in a relationship with somebody where they can know they're loved. You got a need for it. But if you're convinced that a human can meet your need other than Jesus, you won't. And here's the proof that you would have received his reward. Not just his recognition of your condition, not just his reprimand for your sin, but here's the, here's the way you know you have received his reward. It's when your love gets turned back home. It's when you start seeing the world as he sees it. When you're no longer staying in the comfort of heaven like him while the people you love are going to hell. When you're no longer comfortable with a church service where no one gives their life to Christ. You're no longer comfortable with a church service where we're not burying them in a baptism and seeing them raised to newness of life. Where you're no longer comfortable where people are not getting constantly filled with the Spirit, with the evidence of a spiritual move on the inside. Where you're no longer comfortable that we don't advance the kingdom to other parts of our city, other parts of the state, and sending missions to the world. When you no longer are hungry for Christian education, but the Bible says when we live a life in keeping with repentance, we receive the intervention, we receive the reward, and really what it sums up to is bigger than the tree of life, it's bigger than paradise, the reward is Him. I wish I had a voice, stand your feet, love lifted me, somebody help me. Oh, how he loves. Fall in love again. Fall in love again. Break my hard heart, Jesus. Break us.
He knows you've been working hard at your faith. You're not showing up to church because you don't want God in your life. You're not a bad person. We just become functional. If you want to save your heart from being hardened, just lift your hands half mass. The only person with the strength and the right to do something with your heart is the one who holds the seven stars in his hand and who walks among the lampstands in the churches. Just begin to tell him, go to my heart, soften it. I don't think like you, Jesus, soften it. I don't talk like you, Jesus, soften it. I don't want to see people saved like you, Jesus, soften it. I don't want to disciple people, soften it. I'm inconvenienced by people, soften it. My heart is hard. Would you break it? Would you give me a heart of flesh? I don't need a heart of stone. I'm sorry, Jesus, for a hard heart. I'm sorry for being callous. Sorry being motivated by everything but you. I'm so sorry. Deliver me from me. Deliver me for them. <sighs> oh, sing one time. Worship him. With every word, you're saying yes to the heart transplant. Before I do the closing prayer, look at me. This message didn't come so you can feel bad about yourself. So you can know how much you're loved. He didn't bring you here to condemn you. He's not running down a long list of what you've done wrong. You might have conviction. But that's what the gospel is. It gives you victory over sin. Even that same one that gets you every time, he still wants you. Even though this is the hundredth time you've heard a message bringing you to the point of serving Jesus, he still wants you. If you leave here feeling condemned, it's the devil. 
you need to hear, leave here saying God has given you yet another chance to walk in love with him, walk in agreement with him. Lord, I pray for these people, close your eyes. Lord, I'd like to say we're a church, I'm the leader of this church. Wherever I have led us to apathy, being too comfortable, being too set in our ways, forgive me. Wherever I've allowed our hearts to grow cold, forgive me. Wherever I have ignored all of the signs that says we're too inward and we're not out enough, forgive me. We as a people receive your reprimand. At the same time, we receive your love. It's transforming us even now. I'm declaring that we receive soft hearts, change hearts. We haven't left our first love any longer. Today, like the prodigal, we're coming home. We're coming home. Thank you for giving us the strength to stay in this revelation, to see you among us every day. Continue to bless us as we leave this place and go and have fun or whatever we do. May we not exclude you from our life, involve you in every Super Bowl party and every family moment. May you be involved. In the name of Jesus, we pray as we go. God, go with us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Dismiss.